All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Election day is tomorrow and Virginians will go to the polls if they haven't already gone for the last 40, what, four days in order to decide who the next governor, attorney general, and lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia will be, as well as deciding who will have control of the Virginia House of Delegates. We're going to discuss all of that coming up on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Well, today we're going to make the argument not only to defend a free society in general, but a free commonwealth specifically. Because when we go to the polls tomorrow, when people vote, and I'll be honest, I already went out there and vote. I encourage a lot of people to vote early, uh, both for efficiency reasons, because you never know what's going to happen, but also for voter integrity reasons this year. But people are going to go to the polls. They're going to vote. And there's going to be one of two things is going to happen. Um, either Virginia is going to regain, you know, some degree of sanity on some of the most core issues that are affecting us as parents, affecting us as students, affecting us as small business owners, um, or we're about to see the Commonwealth change in a way that I don't think, you know, any of us are really expecting right now. Like it's, it's hard for us to conceive of Virginia looking a lot more like Massachusetts or California, but the bottom line is that it has been headed in that direction for the last two years. I'm going to give you some specific examples, right? But we, we have a serious decision that's going to be made, and it, and it is going to have a large impact on the future of not only Virginia, but the rest of the country, because this is about, this is about a statement not only on Terry McAuliffe and what he wants to do or the current Democrat uh, control over all of Virginia state government. It's also a referendum on the Biden administration. And if you think that's somewhat disconnected, I promise you, go look at what they're saying at the national level. They see there, there's a connection here. This is a referendum not only on Democrat policies in Virginia, it is also a referendum on what's been going on at the national level with the Biden administration. So let's talk about what is the major pitch that we see coming from Terry McAuliffe, Hala Ayala, Mark Herring, and Democrats running for the House of Delegates. Not to mention the fact that uh, Barack Obama, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, all of them decided to uh, grace us with their presence here in the Commonwealth in order to make pitches for Terry McAuliffe and why he should be governor of Virginia again. So let's look at what, what is the main thrust of the argument that they've been making. Like why do, why do they think people should vote for them? Well, McAuliffe's been the loudest. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I follow politics very, very closely. 
You don't see a lot coming out from Mark Herring. You don't see a lot coming out from Hala Ayala. Uh, basically, they're kind of piggybacking on the, the larger generic Democrat argument. You see the same thing within the House of Delegates as well. Terry McAuliffe really has been like the very out front vocal voice of the Democratic Party here in Virginia, along with some of the people that he's brought in in order to campaign and advocate for him. And as best I can tell, Okay, here's what they're advocating for. One, Terry McAuliffe has done a lot of work trying to prove to all of us that he's not the sort of Democrat that would defund the police, right? So he's gotten certain sheriffs and certain law enforcement personnel to come out there, do the YouTube ads saying, yo, gosh, I support Terry because Terry's always been there for us. Right, so that, that's, that's one of the, the narratives that they're making is that essentially they're saying they're not the Democrats you see on TV. They're not the Democrats that you see with the squad pushing for all this crazy stuff where they want to uh, defund the police. That's part of, that's part of their argument. Um, another argument that you see is that it is, it is all about abortion, right? You, you see McAuliffe talking about this. You see Kamala Harris talking about this. Like it, it is this obsession with the abortion issue on the left. So that if, if anybody is pro-life, right? It doesn't matter what degree of pro-life they are, Terry McAuliffe, Kamala Harris, everyone else wants to make this. They, they believe this is a huge winning issue for them in Virginia. This idea that they're not just going to support, you know, legal abortion, which we already have all in the Commonwealth of Virginia. They want taxpayer-funded abortion. They want abortion up to the point of birth uh, with, with no restrictions whatsoever, right? So the, the Democrat narrative on abortion has changed significantly from the last 10 to 15 years, right? It used to be safe, legal, and rare. Now the mantra is uh, at any time for any reason in a taxpayer expense, right? That is what they have been campaigning. Again, it's not hyperbolic. Just go look at the policies that they're advocating for. Look at the bills that they've carried. They've advocated for abortion right up to the point of birth. In fact, Governor Ralph Northam, who's a pediatric neurologist, was you know right there in an interview said that if a baby was born as a result of a botched abortion, the baby would be made comfortable and then a conversation would ensue with respect to what to do with the baby. As well as all these Democrats that have also said they want your tax dollars to fund abortion. And this is actually a problem for them, right? Because there, there's a lot of people that are all over the spectrum. Now, as everyone knows, I am very, very pro-life. I believe that one of the government's primary responsibility is to defend your liberties. Hard for the government to do that if it's allowing you to be killed. Really hard to do that if it's actually funding the procedure, right? But whereas a lot of people may disagree on how far abortion law should go, most people, most Virginians understand why this is probably not something tax dollars should directly fund, right? But even if you take that position, Terry McAuliffe, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, they're all going to come after you as, as a, you know, a radical because you don't want your tax dollars going to Planned Parenthood. They're going to call you a radical, and that's what they've attempted to do uh, this election cycle as well. They've talked a little bit about guns, right? Because on the issue of public safety, they think the key to public safety is more gun bans and restrictions. Not necessarily against criminals, but against everyone, right? Now, some people might come in and say, well, you know, Nick, that's, a, that's an unreasonable way to look at this. You know, all they're trying to do is make our schools safer. All they're trying to do is make our communities safer. Okay, if that is in fact the case, I have a question for you. Can you think of any other areas like this where we're going to violate your civil liberties, like drastically violate your civil liberties to the point of putting you in jail for owning something like an AR-15, for owning something like a 15-round magazine, right? Is that really what, you, for those people out there that are more, let's say, moderate on the gun issue, because once again, I'm very pro-Second Amendment. Let's say you're more moderate on the gun issue. Do, when, when you hear a politician say, 
I'm going to make our schools safer. I'm going to make our streets safer with common sense gun control. Now, maybe you're someone that hears that and thinks, well, that, that seems fairly reasonable, right? You know, background checks. Except that we've already got background checks. That's not what they're advocating for. They're actually advocating to ban the ownership of a number of firearms that Virginians currently own, which is to say that if you don't turn them in, they will fine you or they will arrest you. And it's not just rifles or pistols. We're talking about things like magazines. And they use this term like high capacity magazine. And you're probably thinking, gosh, what is that, like 50 or 100 rounds? No, 15. It's a pretty standard magazine that comes with any semi-automatic pistol that someone owns. Right? But again, they say common sense gun control, or they mention a policy which is already in effect, and then they try to sell that as, well, that's what they're advocating for, but as soon as they get power, what they do is something very differently, and that's already come into play. Like The old narratives aren't working for them the way that they used to, because for the last 10 years, or uh, two years ago, like so for before the Democrats took control, they got to argue on this idea of you know, um, concepts. Right? You know, we, we just want this end state. We just want this objective. And they didn't talk so specifically about what policies they wanted to implement. Well, now they've implemented the policies. They took control, they implemented the policies, and we're finding out that they're far more extreme than what they advertise when they're campaigning for office. Right? And then you also heard Terry McAuliffe talking about how he was a, a massive job creator in Virginia. First of all, let's, let's dispel something really quickly. This idea that government goes in and creates all of these jobs. Here's what government can do. Let's just be honest, right? And I mean this for both Democrats and Republicans. Let's be honest. Governments can create conditions in which it is easier or more difficult for jobs to be created, right? That's generally what we're talking about. Now, the government can end unemployment tomorrow. It's real simple. Just issue a draft, put everyone into the military, and poof, we've ended unemployment. I mean, yeah, we'll have nothing to eat, but yeah, we've ended unemployment, Right? So we, we need to get around these, some of these like really catchphrase, uh, you know, garbage slogans that politicians use about creating jobs. So what we should do is we shouldn't just look at how many jobs were created when Terry McAuliffe was governor. What we should look at is what sort of conditions were being created, what sort of jobs were being created, and then we should compare that with what was going on in other states at the same time period. Was this part of a, a, you know, a general rising tide that was lifting all boats? Or was Virginia doing something that was truly different in order to create jobs or make it more difficult to create jobs? And what we find is, is that Virginia was doing something a little bit different. And what it led to was not a drastic increase of jobs that was being experienced in places like Tennessee or um, Kentucky or North Carolina. What we see is much slower job growth rates within the Commonwealth of Virginia. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, it was this idea that we're going to increase taxes and regulations on businesses. Now, largely the Republican House of Delegates was able to stop a lot of that, but we weren't able to stop all of it, especially when the Democrats took control. The other component that uh, played into this factor was a lot of the jobs in Virginia are dependent upon the federal government and federal spending. And then when Terry McAuliffe wanted to create jobs, his idea of creating it was through cronyism. It was this idea that you do special deals through the government, and then Terry gets to decide who's going to get that initial angel investment. So instead of you letting you invest your money or spend your money in such a way that creates actual job opportunities in the marketplace, Terry McAuliffe was the sort of guy that wanted to take more money for the government, and then he would divvy it out to those industries or those businesses or those cronies that he thought would be best for himself and the Commonwealth of Virginia, right? Let, probably emphasis on himself. So that's a big problem. That's a big part of the reason why job growth was not as fast in Virginia as it was in other states during the same time period. Okay, because again, what we're trying to foster is not just, you know, again, government saying, oh, we've, we've lowered unemployment. Okay, well, if you did that by just 
you know, creating more government jobs at taxpayer expense, you really haven't achieved the sort of economic success that we're looking for. But if you've created an environment where it's easier to do business and easier to start a business and easier for businesses to be able to invest and expand, that's very different. And what's clear when you look at the numbers compared with other states, McAuliffe did not do that in Virginia the way that other states surrounding Virginia, geographically very similar to Virginia, did it. So again, let's look at all those numbers. So they, they you know, are, are going to be... Um, you know, they tried to make the argument on public safety. Terry McAuliffe's trying to convince everyone that he's not anti-law enforcement. And then his only public safety measure has really been this idea that, you know, he's going to restrict guns. Um, they've made the argument um, with respect to jobs in the economy. And again, the only way that that passes muster, if you completely ignore what was going on in the rest of the region, if you just look at the number of jobs when Terry McAuliffe took office versus the number of jobs when you left, it looks like, okay, yeah, there was a net increase. Problem is, is you look at surrounding states and it turns out that everyone else was creating jobs far faster than Virginia was. And the, and the crazy part is, is they didn't have the same geographical advantages or other advantages that Virginia has, uh, which means that Terry McAuliffe was actually doing a bad job with respect to our overall economic growth. Uh, then you see, again, kind of the, the radicalization of, of the uh, abortion issue on the left, where it went from safe, legal, and rare, that's what they used to argue for, to anytime, any reason, and at taxpayer expense, right? And I think this is also turning off some voters. And then finally, the big issue, right? This is the issue that we, we really need to talk about, because I think this is the one, if you look at the polls, and we've just got our first, our, our last couple of polls coming out, you know, right before Election Day have demonstrated that McAuliffe, has, or excuse me, that uh, Youngkin has moved up and surpassed Terry McAuliffe in the polls. And that issue is education, right? This is the one that has been trending in the news, whether it was the Fairfax School Board or especially the school board up in Loudoun County and the way that these school boards have been governing and the way that McAuliffe has actually reacted to it. And I, I, I want to emphasize something here because McAuliffe has said that he's the greatest governor for education. He's going to even be even greater the second time, right? They're going to raise teacher pay and they're going to expand funding for education, right? Because that's always the line. The reality is this. Parents are very frustrated about what is going on within their schools right now. So it's not that parents aren't frustrated about, it's not that parents don't want our schools to be adequately funded or teachers to be, you know, effectively paid. That's, that's, everyone kind of agrees on that. The problem is, is the parents are starting to show up at the school board going, wait a second, before we talk about anything else, I want to know why you've changed your policy with, with respect to advanced placement for things like mathematics. I want to know why you told me CRT was not in our school, but then I'm looking at what's coming home and it is in our school. I want you to explain to me why you told me that I shouldn't be concerned about the content of some of my kids' lessons plans when in reality I'm seeing stuff that is very salacious and overtly sexual in my kids' and I had no idea it was going to be there. I want to know why this is happening. I want to know why, as, one, as Mr. Smith did in Loudoun County, why the school board is saying that they don't have a single record of a sexual assault taking place on their campus when his daughter was raped within a, a, a public school bathroom. That's what they want to know. Before you talk about anything else with education, parents want answers to these questions. And Terry McAuliffe's response has been to lie. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to say he misspoke. I'm not going to say that, oh, well, you know, that's a different way of looking. No, he lied. He lied when he told everybody that Republicans wanted to ban books back in 2017 when we had a bill by Delegate Steve Landis that said when, when material, assigned material, this didn't even apply to school libraries, but when the teacher assigned material to a student which contained 
explicit sexual material, you had to provide the parents notification of that and then provide an alternative if the parents were not comfortable. That's what the bill said. And it allowed the Department of Education to define sexually explicit. Terry McAuliffe vetoed it and then went around telling everybody that we wanted to ban books or that we were racist because one of the books that was mentioned was Beloved, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning book, which by the way, I, I am so sick of people telling me, well, I can't believe you want to ban a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I don't want to ban it, but I don't necessarily want it assigned to my 15 year old. Or if you are going to assign it, I would like you to tell me about it so that when my child comes home and starts asking me questions, about the vivid depictions of bestiality, I can actually have a conversation with and explain that to them. I would like to not be caught by surprise that that is in my kids' reading material in their formative teenage years. But no, Democrats equated that to book banning and book burning. So that's one lie. Another lie was Terry McAuliffe getting up there and saying, CRT is nowhere in our schools. CRT is that this is a dog whistle. Now, whenever a Democrat, whenever a politician says that is a dog whistle, what he's doing is he's saying that if you bring that up, you're engaging in racist behavior, engaging in racist, subtle racist terminology because the, your other racist friends are going to secretly know what's going on without the rest of the public going up. That's what he means when he says a dog whistle. He didn't just accuse Glenn Youngkin of that. He accused everyone, all of these parents that are upset about this, he accused them of engaging in a dog whistle. But here's what's interesting about it. It would be one thing if Terry McAuliffe has said, well, yes, CRT is in our schools in some capacity, and this is the reason why, and this is why I think it's a good idea. And if you oppose it, I think you're, you're doing so for racist reasons. That would also be garbage, but that at least would be honest. But no, here's what he's saying. He's saying CRT is not in our schools, and if you say it is, you're engaging in a dog whistle. Well, here's my question. Why is it that a, a letter was recently revealed during the previous Terry McAuliffe administration, when they were, his administration was pushing CRT, spelled it right out, pushing CRT to our schools. Okay, why is it that I'm the bad guy when I point out that the Virginia Department of Education on their, their uh, education equity site that they have, which is a government site, which is just chock full of lesson plans and seminars pushing critical race theory and pushing it onto our teachers and then having lesson plans designed for students that are designed by CRT advocates, why, why am I the bad guy when I point that out and say, no, that is going on? So it's going on, let's have a debate about it. But no, that's not what they're saying. Terry McAuliffe said, it's not going on and you're a racist if you say it is. Well, we've proven it is going on and they still don't want to have a conversation about it. They just want to get away with calling us all racist and telling parents that they're engaging in phony outrage. And not only did Terry McAuliffe say that, he brought in Barack Obama to say it. He brought in Kamala Harris to say it. He brought in Joe Biden to say it. So for all of you parents out there that are concerned about sexual assault and privacy issues within your public schools, all of you parents out there that are concerned about CRT being pushed, all of you parents out there that are concerned about the fact that there is, you know, in some cases, salacious and pornographic material showing up in your kids' libraries, school libraries, you just got told that you're engaging in phony outrage. You're engaging in dog whistling. You're a racist. You don't have genuine concerns. You're just saying this to be mean to Terry McAuliffe as if he is the center of everyone's world. But you know what? That's the way he campaigns. He campaigns like he's the guy that's going to fix everything. And if you disagree or if you even have a question, then you're the problem. You're the racist. You're the one that needs to be dealt with.
You're the one that should be excluded or ignored or, according to Joe Biden, investigated because you're not willing to go along with their policies. Right? That is what has been happening within the education front on this. And if you want to know why the polls have shifted so drastically, it's because I think a lot of parents who are not, don't associate as Republicans, don't associate as conservatives, but a lot of parents, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of parents are so sick and tired of being told that every time that they have a, a legitimate question or concern that, that doesn't fall within the, the party narrative of the woke the woke contingent of the Democratic Party, that they have to be worried about being called a racist or being ostracized or being targeted in their communities or being targeted by the Department of Justice. They are fed up with that. They understand that that is actually an incredibly scary precedent to set, that the moment you get up and ask a legitimate question and you've got genuinely good reasons to ask it, you are automatically categorized as someone that can be disregarded or insulted or canceled by the people in power. I think there are a lot of parents that are absolutely fed up with that. So that's been, that has been the Democrat narrative. That has been their argument on why they need to be in, in charge. So what's been the Republican narrative? Well, here's one thing that I find really encouraging. Because one thing that I've, I've always stressed is that the goal of politics, at least from, from somebody that believes in individual liberty, that believes in private property rights, that believes in people being able to live their lives the way they want as long as they're not hurting anybody else. Our view of government is actually is very different from the view of government that we see coming out of the progressive side of the Democratic Party, or really the Democratic Party in general, but especially the progressive side. And that's the idea that our job is not to go out there and elect Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears and Jason Mieris and, and a Republican House of Delegates. So then now we can go back and we can take over the schools. And now we can force your kids to learn what we want them to learn. And we can force your businesses to run the way that we want them to run. And we can punish those people that disagree with us and we can reward the people that have had our back. That is not our message. That is not our message. And what is great is that it has not, it, it, it's not the message at all of this ticket. The message has been, look, there are certain things that the government is supposed to do. And there are certain things that we leave up to the individual decision of people, of parents, of civic organizations, of religious organizations. Or there's certain things that it might be appropriate for government to do, but maybe at the local level. right? The state is supposed to focus on very specific things. Within our, within our state constitution. And what I've seen them emphasizing is things that actually matter to people, right? And I'm not just talking about like these pie in the sky, we're going to lower taxes. Okay, that's great, what are you actually gonna do? Well, Youngkin's been very specific. It's getting rid of things like the grocery tax, which now more than ever, because inflation is, going, is skyrocketing under the Biden, now more than ever, we need a situation where, where we are removing this additional government burden associated with being able to have access to, to the very food that sustains us. <coughs> Excuse me. Right, so it, it's about a specific policy position. So it's not just a generic, I'm gonna lower taxes or I'm gonna be good for the economy. It's, no, we're gonna get rid of this tax that is hurting everyday Virginians and is, and is making it more difficult for them to get the things that they need. Right, on education, it's not just, I'm gonna be good for education or we're gonna spend more money on education. It's gonna be like, no, we're gonna provide more options 
within our educational system. It's not going to be this idea of we're going to take more money and then we're going to decide how it's spent within education. No, what it is is the money that comes in for education, now parents and teachers are going to have much more freedom to decide how that educational system looks so that it actually appeals to individual students as opposed to some sort of special interest group that is just pouring money into election campaigns. Right? And we see the same thing on public safety. It's this idea that, no, we're not going to, we're not going to buy into this false narrative of, a, of a, this false authoritarian narrative that the only way you can be safe is by giving away civil liberties. We're not buying that. We're going to protect our civil liberties. We're going to protect your freedom of speech. We're going to protect your right to keep and bear arms. We're going to protect those things at the same time that we're empowering law enforcement, not just with more funding, but with more community-based policing, which is built upon this idea that the police department, which has the closest connections with the community that they're serving, is the one that is able to police best, that it is able to enforce the law in a way that protects civil liberties. So you have to be able to provide the necessary funding for that, but you also have to make sure that the community is involved in setting those priorities. And the solution is not to defund the police, it's not to demonize the police, and it sure as hell is not to do what the current administration is doing and what Terry McAuliffe would continue to do, which is having a runaway scandalous parole board releasing people that were in jail for murder. At the same time that Terry McAuliffe says, we're going to put you in jail for owning this 15-round magazine, he's letting someone out. He wants to let people out of jail who actually murdered people with firearms. So that's the way we're addressing public safety. That's the way we're addressing education. And when it comes to the economy and we look at the regulatory burden that so many of our businesses are under, that's the part where you see within this ticket the argument for, look, we need to make it easy to start a business within Virginia. Right now, we rank 49th in the country for starting a new business. Now, you might have noticed that the Democrats are also, Virginia's number one for business. Here's what you need to understand about that poll. Virginia had been number one for business on the CNBC poll for a while. And this year we were going into, we had all these new regulations, all these new burdens, all these new problems for starting a business. And then we still showed up as number one and we're like, how is this possible? And then you read into the data and what did CNBC do? They changed their criteria, drastically changed their criteria because Virginia was about to drop several places. So they changed it in order to keep Virginia at the top. But when it comes to those organizations that don't manipulate their data right before an election cycle, that's where you see Virginia places like 49th for starting a new business, right? And what we're, I'm seeing from this ticket, from Yunkin, from Yaris, from, from Sears, from our House of Delegates candidates, is that we want to go in there and the whole idea, the whole mindset is our job in government is not to take your money and then selectively choose which businesses get it and which businesses don't get it based off of who they contribute to. But rather, it's to create an environment where we have low regulations and low taxes and we make it easy to start a business, easy to expand a business, easy to hire people. That's the sort of economic environment we want because that is one where the government is doing its proper job, which is making sure that we provide for things like public safety, while at the same time allowing the rest of us to do what we do every day in the economy, which is create jobs by prioritizing our spending for our lives. And in doing that, we send the right signals to the economy. We let that local shop owner know what we like and what we need. We let that local factory know what we need. And then everybody else looks into the sort of environment where they are free to start a business, to expand that business, to grow that business, and to know they're not going to be punished for it. 
That's the sort of environment that we want within Virginia. And the way we get there is by lowering taxes. It is by addressing the regulatory burden that we currently have within the Commonwealth. And that's what we're looking at. So that's, that's the primary difference. And every single one of these situations, whether it's public safety, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, whether it's taxes, whether it's regulations, you're going to see a significant difference. But it's not just in the, in the specific numbers. The difference is in the philosophy. The philosophy that McAuliffe has put out there is give him more money and more power and he will fix the problems. But what we've already seen is that when somebody says, okay, you got more money, you got more power, your party controls the entire state right now, and we got some problems, do they come back and say, oh, here's how we'll fix it? No, they call you a racist. They dismiss you. They insult you. Because it was never about solving your problems. It was about solving their problem of how to get reelected and how to acquire more power. The philosophy that you see on the other side is rooted in the idea of how do we keep government focused on the thing it's supposed to do, like public safety, while creating the sort of environment that allows everybody else to do what they do best, whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, whether it's creating jobs, whether it's creating products and services. Create the environment where free people can flourish and work with one another. Not where free people are constantly wondering what's new regulation, tax, or burden is going to be pushed down on them by the government they elected, ostensibly to protect them. So that's the decision that we have today. So whether it's today or whether you're going in tomorrow to your polling location to vote, the thing that I would ask you to do is make sure that people understand how important this one is. Because as I already discussed in a previous podcast, Right now, all the conditions are, are the best they've been for Republicans in probably the last 10 to 12 years. The conditions are, are really good for us this year. This is why Youngkin is ahead in the polls. This is why it's highly probable that the House of Delegates could take back the majority. The Republicans take back the majority in the House of Delegates. Which means that if we do everything that we're supposed to do, we can win. And we can make that a reality. But if they win, they will take that as a sign that Virginia has gone so blue that no matter what the conditions, no matter what they say, no matter what policies they push, no matter how many mistakes they make, they will get elected anyways because now Virginia is just a deep blue state. And if they go into office with that amount of power, believing they can get away with anything they want, they're going to do a whole host of things that they told you they would never do because ultimately it is rooted in that philosophy of government power. So that's the decision before us. You're gonna have some friends that think to themselves, why does it even matter? You're gonna have some friends that think to themselves, you know, they only vote in the presidential elections. You're gonna have some friends that say, what does it matter if I vote? They're just gonna steal it anyways. And our job from now until Tuesday when we vote is to convince them that not only do we have a real opportunity to change the tide here in Virginia and thereby change the tide across the country. But we still have an obligation to do everything that we can. So even if you, do, even if you are skeptical, that does not absolve us of our responsibility as people that love the United States, love the Commonwealth of Virginia, and just love freedom to do everything within our, our power to go out there and, and use the God-given peaceful abilities that we have to peacefully transition power.
that people have fought for, that people have died for, we still have an obligation to stand up and defend that and do everything that we can in order to make that a reality. So there can't be any excuses because excuses are not going to get us where we need to be. And I guarantee you the day after, excuses are not going to help us with what happens next. So be encouraged. We're in good shape right now. We've just got to continue to fight it out that last little bit. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you after the election cycle. We'll do a follow-up with that. Uh, I've got some people that do some really good analysis, both pre- and post-election. Uh, I'm looking forward to actually providing some insight on what happened, how it happened, and being able to answer some of the questions that I know we're all going to have after Election Day. But hopefully, it's a happy episode instead of one being worried about, I don't know, impending doom. <laughs> Once again, thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.